Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app available for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace Church 417 in your app store and follow along. And now for our message. This is the final week in the series of messages that we've entitled The Lord of All, about Jesus being the Lord of All. It's been over two months that we've been focused on this, and it's been uh, challenging, but it's also been a pleasure to to get into God's Word, looking at this incredibly important facet of Jesus' identity as the Lord of all. I want to make clear as as we conclude this series, and I believe, honestly, frankly, I believe this morning's message uh, is the most important in the entire series. But as we conclude, I want to make clear, I want you to know that I don't think that we've covered it all. Like, to be able to say that we have done justice to the subject of the Lordship of Christ is not what I'm saying at all. We, we have just literally scratched the surface. But I hope that through our times together, you have been thinking differently about Jesus. That seeing him as more than just the Savior, which he is, hallelujah, I'm so glad, but that he is also the one with the power of deciding. That's what Lordship means. And when we make him our Lord, we are saying to him, effectively, Lord, I want you to have the power of deciding over every part of my life. We're going to conclude the series by talking about how he is the Lord of our rights. Would you turn to the person next to you and say rights? The Lord of our rights. You know, as Americans, we have a lot of opinions about our rights. As a matter of fact, as soon as you start talking about taking away rights, you get get to find out who cares about rights because they get extremely animated and they all of a sudden, they have a lot of things to say about their rights. You know, I'm grateful for our rights. For example, we just had an election this past Tuesday. I'm grateful that we had the right to cast a a vote in a free and fair election, that we were able to come. There were people, more than 2,000 people voted in this very room, which is fantastic. I mean, at one point they were lined up and down the sidewalk and Great use of this space to minister, um, you know, support to our community as people exercise their civic duties. I'm glad that we have the right to vote. I wasn't afraid when I went to the polls. It was fantastic, you know. I went and cast my vote. I hope you did as well. We have the right to free speech. We have the right to exercise uh, our religion, our, our, our spiritual beliefs. We're able to be here without fear this morning because of the rights. I'm not against rights. Please understand that. But a right, by definition is a moral or legal entitlement to obtain something or to act in a certain way. When we say I have a right, what we're saying is I get this thing or I can do this thing or I am entitled to this particular thing. Our our Declaration of Independence states that God has given people, God himself has given people certain inalienable rights. I won't argue any of that. But I want to ask this question to you this morning as we start down this road. Talking about lordship and how lordship interacts with rights. The question I want to ask you is this. Does anybody really, actually, have any rights? And in particular, does anybody in the kingdom of God, any of those of us that are following the Lord of all, do we have any rights? I want to explore that with you this morning. And I want to do it by looking at one of the most insightful passages of scripture that we could turn to in regard to the lordship of Jesus. And that is John chapter 13. We're going to look at two different chunks of that chapter, verses 1 to 7 to start with, and then we're going to look at verses 12 to 17. So would you look with me? It'll be on the screen. This is out of the English Standard Translation this morning, starting in verse 1, John chapter 13. 
Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, and he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. This evening when this text is set, is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. So this would be the Thursday night before Good Friday. Jesus died on Good Friday at about 3 p.m. And so this is inside of the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And he understands what's coming. The text is very clear. He knows what's, what he's facing. He understands that he came from God and that in just a very short period of time, he will be going back to God. He is the Lord of all, but he is also poised in the next 24 hours to become the one who provides salvation for all. He'll be the savior of the world. He's eaten his final meal with his disciples, what we know as the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate when we take communion together. And afterward, he, it says that in the text that he rises and he takes off the outer garments and he wraps a towel around himself, must be a large towel because it has enough slack that he can dry feet, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples around the table. Of course, it wouldn't be... It wouldn't be Jesus and his disciples if Peter didn't argue. Lord, you wash my feet? Jesus said, you'll get it. You'll understand later. Verses 8 through 11, Peter and Jesus go back and forth. And we've skipped that part on purpose because it doesn't have a lot to do with what I want to share this morning. But it's Peter being Peter. Trust me. If you want to read it, you can read it later. Jesus says, you'll get it later. And then jump down to verse 12 with me. 12 to 17 says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet. I'm sorry, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Verse 16 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus begins to unpack why it is that he does this. He asks them if they understand. Of course they don't. And Jesus wasn't, understand, wasn't saying, do you understand the action that I just did? What he is saying is, do you understand why I have done this to you? Verse 13, he says, I'm the teacher, the one who instructs, and I am the Lord, the one with the power of deciding. Good job, you're getting better. It's the eighth week, we ought to be there. He says, if I am the teacher and the Lord, and I'm willing to humbly serve you on this night, then you ought to be willing to serve one another. He says, servants aren't greater than their masters, and messengers aren't greater than the ones that send them with a message. So, you will be blessed, not if you just know what I am doing, but if you do what I did. By the way, I would underline, if you're an underliner, underline verse 17. Great verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That is a theme throughout the scriptures. Not just knowing, but doing. 
Not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word also. Think about the situation with me. Of all the things that Jesus might have done the night before he was executed, why did he do this? He's the Lord of all. We know that everything that Jesus did in his entire life, he did on purpose. It was always purposeful. Never random. There's no coincidences with Jesus. He intentionally chose to do this. Why would he prioritize washing his followers' feet? I mean, the early part of the chapter tells us that he understood what was upon him, what was going to happen. He knew that in just a few hours, literally, after this moment of washing their feet, that he would be in the garden. He knew that when he was in the garden that, that he would ask his closest friends, right, Peter, James, and John, to come with him and to pray with him. Of course, we know what happens there, right? Hey, could you guys just, this is how I would have said, hey, could you guys, it's a tough night for me. Could you just be praying? And you, what do you think they said? What do you think they said? Yeah, you can count on me, Jesus. This is another theme in scripture. You can count on me, Jesus. Jesus goes, says in Luke, a stone's throw away. He begins to pray. I don't know how this works, but he thought, I need to check on the boys, make sure they're still praying with me, goes back. And what are they doing? Just like I would be doing. They were tired. Yeah, they were tired. They were sleeping. This thing repeats itself three times. How demoralizing. Literally, the weight of the world. That's not figurative. Literally, the sinful weight of the world is on his shoulders. All I'm asking for, guys, is to watch him pray, and they can't stay awake. So this disappointment's coming. He knows it. He knows that when push comes to shove and Judas shows up with that, that entourage of soldiers, he knows that they're going to leave. And they did. After a short but, but bloody fight, Peter cuts the ear off the high priest's servant and then they all leave and Jesus is alone. He knows that his arrest is coming. He knows that there's going to be a trial. And I say that with air quotes because it was a sham. It was never a real trial. It was a setup. He understands that the torture is coming, an unimaginable torture is coming. And he understands that there will eventually be an execution, all within the next 18 hours, let's say. Maybe they could have had a prayer meeting instead of Jesus washing their feet. Maybe they could have just rested or just spent time encouraging Jesus. But at, to, the, to the very last minute of his life with his disciples, he was instructing them, I am your teacher and I am your Lord. I'm telling you what to do. He's still teaching by example. He's modeling true leadership. And let me just pause and, and step on this imaginary soapbox that I have right here. Friends, that is leadership. What gets passed off in our culture and our world as leadership is not unless it looks like this. In the worst possible time with the literal weight of the world on his shoulders, he's still saying, this is what it means to be a leader. He's saying Wash each other's feet. He's demonstrating authentic humility. He's showing the priority of serving. And, and just to remind you what you already know, he is doing that with those who are not worthy. And he is doing that with even the one who would betray him. Judas doesn't leave till later on in the narrative. So think about that for a moment. As Jesus is down washing the feet of these men, he's also washing the feet of a man who will walk to a garden with a bunch of soldiers and turn him over to his death. And he washes his feet anyway. And think about who's doing the washing here. This is the Lord of all. Paul will write later that the fullness of the Godhead, that is the fullness of who God is, will dwell bodily in Christ. So the one who made every atom 
who made everything that they could see and everything that they couldn't see took on this role of a household slave in his washing feet. And washing feet of some very, very unreliable men who were confused, who were immature, and who are above all prideful. One of the other gospel accounts says that even at the Last Supper, they're arguing about who's the greatest. They're having an argument in front of Jesus the night before he's going to be killed about who's the greatest in the kingdom. I love that he doesn't rebuke them, which is proof why he's Messiah and I'm not. He washes their feet. I want to make a proposition to you this morning. Here it is. This is in the notes if you want to write it down. I propose to you this. That if Jesus is willing to forsake his rights, to humbly serve at one of the darkest moments in human history, that his followers have no rights. If the one who has all power and all authority is willing to take on the posture and the practices of a slave, who are we to refuse to do the same? I am not the Lord of all. Why do I think it's not my responsibility to humbly get down at the feet of another? We don't have any rights. None. Zero. And it sounds unsettling, but I want to say to you, it's actually a bit freeing. Because when I accept the fact that I have no rights, I live my life differently. It's easier for me to let go of offense It's easier for me to to deal with disappointment. It's easier for me to resist pride, to be okay with not getting my own way. Does anybody else struggle with not getting their own way? Thank you, Diana. You and I, we're the only spiritual people here. We're the only honest people here. When When I recognize that I'm not owed anything, all those things are much easier. And I'm not owed anything. When Jesus is Lord over my rights, my resources no longer have any power over me. They're not mine. They're his. I'll use and give and distribute them as he wills. When Jesus is Lord over my rights, my relationships are easier to navigate, especially the offenses, because I'm surrendered to what his word says, and I will be obedient as much as it depends on me to live at peace with all men. Having no rights doesn't mean that I become the the perennial doormat in every relationship I'm ever in for the rest of my life. Because as we're going to see in just a moment, Jesus surrendered all of his rights and he was never a doormat. It doesn't mean that I could never have anything nice. Not suggesting that scriptures are saying that you can never have any resources that are yours for your own enjoyment or use. I don't think that's what scripture teaches at all. What it does mean is this, that when I am a follower of the Lord of all, hear me on this, when I am a follower of the Lord of all, it means that I choose to give and to serve instead of demanding to receive and be served. Let me say that to you again. When I am following the Lord of all and I am surrendering my rights, I choose to give and serve rather than be served and always look to receive something. Jesus has all the rights. And yet he relinquishes them to rescue us. Philippians chapter 2. We could have been in this passage all through this series, but we, we didn't. We saved it till now. I saved it till now. 
Let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation. This is just verses four through eight of Philippians chapter two, very familiar passage of scripture, talking about the one who has all the rights. Who has all the rights? Good. Paul says this, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus had all of the rights, and he lets them go for us. Who am I to hold on to my rights? Who am I to demand my moral or legal entitlements when the Lord of all gave it all for me and invites us, all of us, to serve with grace instead of striving for position? If this is radical to us even now, imagine how overwhelming it was to his disciples. They didn't, he says, you won't understand now. We could all say a hearty amen. They didn't. It took a long time for this to all work itself out. And even for us who have the benefit of the full scriptures, it still takes a lot to work this out. They thought the kingdom would come through force and violence. They were convinced of it. That's why Peter grabs the sword. That's why he starts the fight in the garden because he thinks that's the way the kingdom comes. Jesus showed us another kingdom that is secured not by demanding rights or fighting back, but by surrendering. Let that sink in for a moment. A global spiritual revolution was to be accomplished entirely by those who were submitted to the authority of Jesus and who imitated his surrendered serving posture. That's totally backward. That's not how revolutions take place. But out of that moment and out of that resurrection and out of that ascension and out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the whole world has been turned on its ear, not at the edge of the sword, but by people kneeling and serving others. Jesus surrendered all to the Father, and he invites us to surrender to him. Many people here at Grace, and many people in the church at large, maybe most, they have, they have tasted the wonder of Christ's forgiveness. They can say without hesitation, Jesus is my Savior. Many people here and in the church at large have experienced the, the, the glory and the surprise of how wonderful it can be to surrender to Jesus, at least in part. We can say he is our Lord. But there are many, my friends, there are many who still hold on to their rights, who say, I will follow Jesus as Savior, I will follow him as Lord of some, but not Lord of all, because I want to hold on to something. I want to hold on to my rights. I want to make exceedingly clear to you. Turn to the person next to you and say, this needs to be exceedingly clear. Good, good, word, good use of that word. The lordship of Jesus is greater than your rights. And he is calling all of us all of us, to fully surrender and to let go of every reservation, of every condition, 
of every detail, of every secret, of every hidden thing, he's inviting us to say, I want you to be Lord of all. Everything. And here's the the crazy part with that is, you say that once, I say that once, hallelujah. Guess what I have to do tomorrow? Lord, today, all of it. And the next day, all of it. Oh, and next week, guess what will happen? He'll show you something else. Oh, great. I thought I was in good shape, Lord. Now I've got to deal with this too. It's the journey that we're on. He's interested in us giving him everything. He is the Lord of all. But it's our decision by faith to make him the Lord of all of us. And my question this morning simply is, will you? Will you do that? Will you let him be the Lord of all? And all means all. I'm inviting you this morning with me to surrender. At the end of each of these services during this series, we have left the altars open. We've had people here to pray. And uh, many people have come, some weeks more than others, but there's always been someone being ministered to or, or many. This morning, we're gonna do it differently. In just a moment, and Beth, would you please come? In just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to think about this idea of laying down all of my rights, all of my, all of my details, every part of my existence, laying all that down, and I'm gonna invite you to come and kneel with me at the altar and pray. And I want you to know up front, I'm not looking. <laughs> I'm gonna be kneeling right here dealing with my stuff because this is my challenge. I'm not, posi- I'm not speaking to you from a position of having knocked out the lordship issue with Jesus. It is a journey that I am on with him. And I invite you to come with me this morning and kneel at this altar and we pray together and say, Lord, we're turning it all over to you. We're laying it all at your feet. We're surrendering every last thing. All means all. It means every word that you say and will say. It means every dollar that you have and will have. It means every decision that you make, every single one, every relationship, every habit, every bank account, every minute that God has given you till you go to meet him, every thought, every hurt, every opportunity, every motive, every addiction, every asset, every activity, every last part of your life. I'm inviting you this morning to say, Lord, I surrender it all to you, all of it to you. Would you pray with me before you come? Let's just pray right now. Lord, I ask that you would do something in us as a church. That as this body of believers called Grace Church, Lord, I ask that you would make us a people hungry for your holiness and surrendered to your lordship in every part of our lives. Lord, I ask that we would not be people that hold anything back, but rather people that go all in, surrendering it all, laying it all down, letting it all go, choosing, Lord, your way. Like that song that we sing, Lord, your way is better. We want to surrender to you. Lord, I ask that that when we get up tomorrow morning, we would do it all over again. Lord, that we would become suspicious of what comes naturally to us and embrace that which comes only from you and by your spirit. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness and a, and a, and a confidence in your goodness, Lord, that we would never think that we're gonna lose out by trusting you. That's what the enemy says. Lord, that's, that's what he whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden in, 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 in Genesis chapter three. Don't do it. God's holding back on you. There's something better. Lord, may we be delivered from that lie to ever think that we are better at managing our lives, that us holding on to our rights gets us a better result than trusting you with everything. Lord, help us to be yielded fully and completely to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted your grace and salvation, has never made you the Lord of all, and they, they're, they're brand new to this whole idea, Lord, I ask that they would come that they would surrender their lives, Lord, that we would embrace them into this family and that they would become born again, as the word says. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, trusting you. Amen. Amen. If you want to pray with me, would you come forward? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come and we surrender. Every thought, every word, every motive, every opportunity, every dollar, every decision, every addiction, every activity, Lord, all of it. Lord, come. Come, Lord. Give your people a heart to surrender. Cause us to trust you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Just take a few moments now and just whatever's on your heart, whatever you need to confess and give to him, give him all right now. And then we'll pray together in just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Father, we give ourselves to you. We thank you for the opportunity to empty ourselves. Lord, we empty ourselves before you. We give it all to you, Lord. All means all, Lord. We give all to you. And ask in the name of Jesus that you would empower us by your spirit, that you would fill us with your goodness, that you would grow the fruit of your spirit in our lives, that we would be a people without reservation, without condition, who have said, I am all in with the Lord. My life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. Lord, may that be our testimony as individuals, as a church family. And Lord, in that, would you use us for your glory? Lord, would you use us to, to expand your kingdom as we share your goodness? Lord, share who you are with the people that you brought into our lives, our family members, our friends. Lord, use these yielded vessels for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me if you're here kneeling, if you're in your seats, would you stand with me? I want to speak a blessing over you. Don't, just stay right where you're at. Extend your hands in front of you. Uh, I sensed, sensed it in first service, want to say it again. I just, 
want to speak this over you. Those of you that are, that are doing business with God right now saying, Lord, I, I yield to you. I am totally and completely turning everything over to you. I want you to know that the Lord is just so pleased with you. He's just so, he's so um, thrilled that you're taking a step to trust him. And you will never be sorry for doing that, ever. Grace Church family, friends, those watching online, whoever's here, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, visit us on the web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.